today on CityCast Denver. A few months ago, a couple of journalists at Nine News were thinking about all that federal pandemic aid money that went out to businesses around the country. And that's when Zach Newman, investigative data producer with Nine News, read a story in ProPublica. Basically, there was one company that was giving out a bunch of loans that ProPublica found um, were going to like fake farms, like farms in New Jersey, where like along a beach where it's just like there's no farms there. Here's Zach's colleague, Nine News investigative reporter Jeremy Hohola. As we started learning about COVID fraud starting to make news in other places, Zach and I, we decided to take a look at databases that were very specific to Colorado. As I was scrolling, you know, just randomly scrolling, looking through these databases, all of a sudden I noticed this pattern. I was like, wow, I'm seeing an anomaly here. As the federal government was pumping billions of dollars in COVID relief to businesses, scammers were hard at work too. Our own investigator, Jeremy Hohola, found more than 30 bogus businesses were approved for millions of dollars, and they all trace to one Denver office. Today is Wednesday, September 15th, 2021. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. So, Jeremy and Zach, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. Happy to be here. Late last month, Jeremy and Zach found 33 non-existent or defunct businesses, most of them in Denver, that were approved for more than $2 million in federal pandemic relief money. Someone had apparently revived their business licenses through the Colorado Secretary of State's office for the sole purpose of applying for PPP loans. When Jeremy and Zach learned that, they traced the businesses back to a single office suite in Denver, which belonged to an accountant named Gregory J. Folk. He passed away last year, so who exactly was behind this major fraud is still a mystery. But we wanted to know how something like this could happen in the first place, and what we can do to prevent it from happening again. Jeremy, paint a picture for me here. Exactly how much money has been lost to PPP loan fraud, like the one you and Zach uncovered here in Colorado? There's an estimated $84 billion in fraud nationally with these COVID relief programs, and we only found $2.3 million. So what we found is a like tiny, tiny, tiny speck of the fraud out there. Uh, and it's just a testament of what else is potentially out there. I, I, we've spoke to federal agents about this case, and they've been telling me that they, they are going to be chasing this money down for the next 10 to 15 years because there's so wow. much fraud out there. Yeah. So how did this happen? I know that they revived these businesses to get the loan money. So how easy was it for them to do that, to revive them? I have the stack of the 33 bogus entities, right? right in front mm-hmm. of me. And if you look at the top of the license when they revived it, all they had to pay was $100, which is wow. a which is, you know, $100 to revive a business license and then, you know, it's you, it's a small investment to get $2.3 million and so th- what what whatever happened here, someone using Greg Folk's name or Greg Folk himself went into the Secretary of State's office, they were able to log in and they were able to find these old business licenses, 
hijack them, and then revive them on paper just with a few clicks of the mouse. And it's been my understanding after talking to a white-collar crime investigator who did a lot of fraud investigations involving the Secretary of State's business licensing system is that the fraudsters know in Colorado is one of the places where you go to commit fake business fraud because it is oh. so because it is so easy to go in there and and get into the Secretary of State's business licensing system and do this. In other states, there's more there's more stringent like gates that somebody okay. has to walk through before they can do this. In Colorado and in a handful of other states, um, what I've been told it's that it, this is just really, really, really easy. Uh, one white collar crime investigator I spoke to said there was a address here in Golden that had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fake business entities tied to it. And what that was, that was somebody in China that went into the Secretary of State's office, created these fake businesses, and they were using it to create these entities to sell counterfeit goods or to do trademark violations where they were just selling stuff online. And they would create these businesses that looked legit. So if someone was buying something online, they could Google that business um, and they could go online and look at that, look it up on the Secretary of State's office, and it says in good standing. Have you all reached out to the Secretary of State's office to to find out? Like, do they know how easy this is, or where where are they they at with this situation? We did a we did a follow up story with them, and they sent a statement essentially saying that that right now businesses have the option of when they create their account of having a they have the option at their own discretion to create a password for their business licensing i'm not sure how long that's been in effect but when you have businesses from the 1990s and the 2000s you know still accessible online yeah. i you know it's 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 a loophole in the system and they they did say that they are pushing for legislation, the Secretary of State's office, that would help with business identity theft. Um, I, I, from my perspective, after, after looking at all of this, you want it to be easy to create a business in Colorado, right? But when you have so much fraud in this database, in the business licensing system, that fraud is hurting the taxpayer. It's hurting the little guy that needs help. And so there may need to be something done in the business licensing database to make it stronger because fraudsters know it is fertile ground to commit fake business fraud there. Were these Colorado businesses Denver centered originally or were they all over the state? They were or? they were most of them were like the Denver metro area. Some of them were one was in Fort Collins, I believe. But most of these were Denver centric. Does this mean that Colorado businesses lost out on PPP money? Like, what is the impact for the business community here of people that were actually trying to to keep their businesses, actual legit businesses afloat? So we've done stories on businesses that struggled during the pandemic to even get PPP funding. There were businesses that, you know, applied and they just could not get their foot in the door because these were smaller businesses that didn't really have a banking relationship with their bankers. So like you had a lot of large companies that were able to get these loans quickly because you know the CEOs of these companies will go golfing with the bank manager and they could just pick up their phone, call up their buddy and say, "Hey, hook me up with this PPP money." And boom, they'd get it. 
smaller businesses that really don't have that, you know, intimate banking relationship with the bank, they had to go online, submit an application, and there was a clog. There were so many people clamoring for this money. But then you had financial tech companies, which made it easy where you just went online, plugged in an application, plugged in your numbers, plugged in who you were supposedly are or were, and boom, the money would, 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 would come. The money would be approved. And so you, 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 what you have here is you have $2.3 million that was approved that should have gone to a small business that was struggling during the pandemic. And there were a lot of businesses, as you know, that were shut down during the pandemic because yeah. they, just could not, they just could not survive. So meanwhile, you have fraudsters, you know, hanging on the beach in Cancun, drinking martinis and, you know, daiquiris with this money. Then you have small businesses that just shut down because they just couldn't that's like the saddest part to me is is knowing so many small business owners that didn't get to take advantage of this and um, or couldn't or claw like you're saying I, I had a friend whose business was in that clogged system like waiting months for a PPP loan for their small business and and never seeing it so they actually just went through their own bank and like got a sort of line of credit to to cover their their bills so they had to kind of do a different do something different because they couldn't get in. Yeah, I think I, th- I think this um, story is kind of proved more than anything of just like once you know how to navigate the system, it really benefits you. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you should or shouldn't have is a whole other question. But yeah, no, I definitely feel for those. Uh, when we posted the story, a lot of people reach out frustrated and heartbroken over the fact that they couldn't get this money and then to see it go elsewhere is it's really it, it's tough and it's you know another example of the system not working you all you guys reached out to some of these folks who owned these zombie businesses before they were revived can you talk about some of the the people that you talked to who they were what their experience was how they felt about this happening oh, yeah, the, to them the people they, these people felt violated uh one of them was a dog training company that shut down in the early 2000s here in denver uh and his license was hijacked and revived uh, he was totally surprised we talked to a guy named chris tucker who used to run this bronze this metal bronze casting company he would do artwork and his uh, business was revived and he felt very disgusted and mm-hmm. violated that someone came in and used his business name to get you know get to get these funds this way and then there was other other businesses i talked to that did not make our story, uh, that were just totally shocked. Uh, you had an, an old window business um, that that existed, and the guy was like, whoa, what happened? I, I moved away. I had no idea that this happened. And then you had that VHS company. I talked to that family. It was an old VHS store that, <laughs> that they took over and revived and you know hijacked that license, and that family was like, whoa. And that store shut down, I think, in the like late 90s. Jeremy, you mentioned earlier that the Secretary of State's office sent you both a statement that mentioned a password option for businesses who want to protect their business licensing. Is a password really the best way to prevent business frauds? Is this the right solution? I think it would prevent it if if, if the business entity in chooses to create a password when they go into the system. And right now, the Secretary of State's office says that's really just an option at this point. Uh, for a business entity to create a password that would attach to their account. I think if they maybe made it like a requirement, 
that would probably button down the fraud, uh, that I would imagine. Right now, they said it's at the discretion of the business entity to establish a password, which, you know, which indicates that, you know, there's there's the possibility that anybody can go in there without a password and do their fraudster business in there. Um, the IRS, we talked to the IRS for this story, and they told us that when they're looking at COVID fraud, what we found is becoming exceedingly common because it is easy for someone to hijack an old business license in the Colorado Secretary of State's office. And those older licenses don't have the password system attached to them. So it's easy for someone uh. to go in there you know, you know, get that, you know, claim that business, change the name, hijack it, change the address to it, and then, you know, get this money. Yeah, I think another lesson with this is that if you are a small business owner, I mean, I'm, I will evangelize about the importance of a strong password and multi-factor authentication and everything like that. But I mean, this is such a, this is such a deep in the weeds problem that I had no idea existed until we started doing this story. And as far as like adding a password or not. So if you're a business owner, you know, based off of this recommendation, it would, it would be smart to really look into how you can secure your own paper trail too. Jeremy and Zach, what is your hope in reporting and exposing this fraud? What do you hope comes from this? I I hope that businesses will become more aware that they need to watch over their own business licensing systems uh, because it is so easy for people to do business identity theft. I mean, you you hear about personal identity theft, but this is business identity theft is actually a huge problem too, and this is just one facet of it. I also hope that 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 some of the money we the taxpayer. I mean, this is money that we worked hard for, that yeah. that was taken out of our checks to help our fellow Americans, to help to help our economy, to help our fellow you know, Americans, you know, survive this pandemic. And, you know, we pay taxes, all of us pay taxes. And this is money that a thief came in and took from us. This is our labor. This is our hard work. And I hope that by us reporting it, we'll put pressure on law enforcement agencies to chase this money down and also to prosecute the people who take advantage of this, to actually put the people in jail who do this, because this is a violation of the U.S. taxpayer. After reporting this story out, I think I really hope people will take this more seriously and see what this actually looks like. Like when you when you think, OK, 60,000 here, 60,000 there. For taxpayer dollars, like not great, but like okay, what's the big deal? But when you zoom out, two point three million dollars. Right. I will never, I will never be a millionaire <laughs> in journalism. So to see that just leave and not know where it is is, it's grossly unfair to to those businesses who couldn't get the money and were struggling, and they're suffering while others are benefiting. So I I really hope that uh, folks take a closer look and try to identify what loopholes exist in the system. I think we found quite a few in closing those loopholes. Thank you both for talking with me today. Yeah, we could talk about this all day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. 
Earlier this week, City Council voted 11 to 2 to extend a contract with Environmental Hazmat Services, a company Denver hired to conduct the homeless encampment sweeps. Denverite reports that some community advocates say Environmental Hazmat Services has been abusive to houseless people and failed to adequately clean up sites. Everyone agreed that keeping the public right-of-way safe and clean was crucial, but critics of the sweep still argue that there needs to be a better way to deal with the needs of the houseless community. To follow up on our story from yesterday on Douglas County's split from Tri-County Health, it looks like Dugco is in the market for a qualified director for their new health department. Unlike the three commissioners who made the decision to split off and make their own health department, this position actually requires a background in public health. So hit up the Doug Co. Commissioners if you think you're the right human for the job. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See ya! You and your Zach. (laughs) Versus me and my Zach. (laughs) We all have our own Zachs. I just needed to specify it was your Zach. (gasps)